welcome to this edition of the Golfing Mind, the podcast which looks at golf in general, but the mental game of golf in particular. And this week, I'm very pleased to be sharing with you uh, um, more of an anecdotal uh, story with you and a reflection which was uh, originated by an experience I had this week. And it kind of finds its uh, sort of benefits for us in the mental game going forward. I went to university in Surrey uh, in a town called Guildford and I signed up to play golf and made the golf team. Now, when I tell American people I played college golf, there's always a little nod of admiration as in, you must have been a good player. The reality in Britain back in the 70s was, uh, with the exception of a few universities, most golf teams were just made up of people who were willing to turn up on a Wednesday and a Saturday to represent the university. So there was often a scramble to get players. But I turned up with a supposed handicap of seven and uh, was in the golf team. However, the friends I made at university weren't the golfers. They tended to be rugby players. And I introduced them to golf over the years that followed. And most of them proved to be very adept at uh, playing the game to a standard which they found enjoyable. What was interesting, the one thing they all brought with them was a mindset, that mindset which is winning is the most important thing. Now, that doesn't mean they were unsporting, and it certainly doesn't suggest that they were sort of uh, uh, poor companions in the golf course, but when they stepped over a shot, they gave it everything they had. Well, over the years, we've stayed friends and we've played golf for over 45 years, and um, they are still great companions and still highly competitive. Now, one of the good friends, a chap by the name of Chris Braithwaite, wanted to raise money for charity, so he had a suggestion on playing golf, and he called it from dawn till dusk. The idea was to go out and play uh, four or five rounds of golf, uh, more or less back-to-back -back in a single day and on his home course which is the RAC club in Epsom. Now if you know anything about the RAC club you know it's a fine fine layout of two 18-hole courses but fairly hilly there's very few holes where you're not walking uphill or downhill so it's a physically quite a challenge to do but we agreed to do it. So this week just gone uh, we set out to play 72 holes. We agreed that was a good number, and we set up a f format of foursomes. We thought playing our single ball would be slow, because it's often a three-and-a-half, four-hour round, whereas in foursomes you can do it in two-and-a-half hours. You still have to walk the course, and you still got to play golf, but not quite as much golf as you do playing your own ball. So basically, that's what we set out to do. So what was my big discovery? Well, my big discovery um, is interesting because we agreed that carrying a full set of 14 clubs, oh yes, another part of the challenge is we had to carry our clubs. You know, when you're in your mid-60s, you've got to make it as hard as possible. And uh, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was decided you could take as many clubs as you wanted, but you obviously couldn't use a trolley or, an, or a cart. So everyone agreed to play with a half set of clubs or less. And I chose to play with a three wood, five iron, eight iron, 56 degree lob wedge, and a putter, just five clubs. And two of them had six clubs and one had seven clubs. And that, that was it. 
Now, what was really interesting is often I become very focused on my um, my clubs as the, the loft, the lie, the, the shaft length, the flexibility, the kick point. You know, I'm really into the number crunching and it's uh, something I just find interesting. I don't obsess over it, but I like to know what my sort of uh, specs are on my golf club so I can have the greatest opportunity to play the right club for the uh, given situation. However, what turned out to be um, a five-club round put me in a position that I had to improvise quite often. But when I had uh, shots which required, uh, let's say, um, a five-wood or a four-iron, which I didn't have, I was able to use my three-wood or my five-iron. And the purpose or the point I'm trying to make is that we can invest far too much of our time in technology as being the solution to our woes. Now, good technology will give us good confidence. There is no doubt about that. Yet, I often talk about what I call the rental set paradox. Now, the rental sex, rental sex, I have to apologize. The rental set paradox is when you are on vacation or you're visiting friends and they say, hey, let's play golf. And you go to a golf course and they say, we have some rental sets. So you take a rental set. Now, the rental set often has a strange brand name you've never heard of. They are possibly made in North Korea and they look like well-known clubs, but we know they're not. So they might be called carnival clubs or, you know, uh, totally clubs. And they're trying to be lookalikes. But we know that they're cheaply made, that the... uh, conditioning of the shafts might not be consistent and the grips might not be great and the angles and the lies, whoever knows. But what happens when you play with a rental set, in my experience, is your expectations go down because you think to yourself, well, I don't have my normal club, so I guess, yeah, I guess if I just take it easy, swing slowly and finish my swing, it should be okay. One or two of the best rounds of golf I've ever played in my life have been with uh, rental sets. And they weren't great clubs, but I slowed down. I just uh, allowed myself to be more, um, you know, more balanced, more uh, comfortable with the acceptance of what will happen will happen. So let's go back to the 72-hole match we played. Each of the four players, myself included, at the end of the 72 holes, which for those of you who'd like to know, took us 11 hours and 10 minutes on course and a total of 13 hours because we took short breaks to have showers between some of the rounds and get some food in. Um, And we were averaging 2 hours 35, 2 hours 45 per round overall. So it was pretty good going, uh, even for the hilly course. No blisters, no sore feet, no knee injuries. It was a... But the level of competition was very keenly felt, just like we were students all over again. And as a result of that, Not one person took a shot where they weren't really doing their best and trying their hardest. So the thought I want to leave you with today is this. Use your imagination much more and don't invest simply in the technology. Now, the technology I know will give you uh, increased confidence, certainly. But it's not the solution in itself. It is a component of the solution. And time and time again... To my clients and my colleagues and my friends, I always say, believe. Believe you can make the shot. 
believe you can pull it off. I was playing the three wood and two of the guys had drivers. And yet I was consistently hitting it as far, if not further than them, because I just believed that I needed to make an easy swing with a three wood and not try and force it. Whereas the fellows with a driver were a little concerned about blocking it or pulling it. So this ability to believe and have confidence in your ability to produce the shot you need at any given moment makes a huge improvement in our ability, I feel, to play consistent and more instinctive golf. When you don't have the right club, you have to improvise. We know there are a number of players who are famed for their capacity to improvise. Most famously, I think, is Severiano Ballesteros, who would be on his knees with a three-wood, uh, hitting a ball from under a bush. Or he would be um, looking at a small gap in the trees and thinking, yep, I need a seven-iron to go through that gap. So he had a terrific imagination. And he used to say, I just see what I need to do, and my brain tells my hands what to do. And I, that, to me, is probably the best example of unconscious excellence at its finest. Well, the US Open is now coming up, so I'll be giving some thoughts and reflections on that next week. But until we speak again, I wish you all the best in your golf. I'm taking a few days off to give my uh, body a chance to recover, but I'll be heading up to Scotland to um, do some work and to play a few courses. So I'll be talking about that in the weeks to come. In the meantime, if you are a keen fan, of golf and would love to improve your ability uh, where you are right now, I would love to invite you to go to seagergolf.com where there is a 13-week mental conditioning program. It is a result of many years research and it's not just full of uh, little quotes on being positive and staying in the moment. It is a series of 10 to 15-minute lessons with PDF downloads mp3 downloads and it is all about training your mind it's no good telling your mind what to do if your mind doesn't know how to do it and that's exactly what mental conditioning training is all about it's a 13-week program the first lesson is free and i would love to see you on the other side of this podcast so seagergolf.com and the program is the silent mind golf um the prices start from i think it's $39 and go all the way up to thousands but I'm pretty sure you'll get everything you need unless you're professional at the $39 level until we speak soon take care enjoy your golf and all the best <laughs>